0: guys, welcome to the Field Crafts for All podcast. I'm gonna be your host for this ad space. Just wanna bring attention to a couple companies that really make this possible for us. And uh, these are some really good folks out there. First company I wanna bring some attention to is Black Rifle Coffee. If you have been living under a rock, you might not know that Black Rifle Coffee is a veteran-owned coffee company. They're located over in Salt Lake City, but there are stores opening up all over the United States now and the coffee is available online and all over the place Uh, you really want to go take a look at some of the stuff that they offer i'm a big fan of their instant coffee packets for travel you know when the airline comes around and they're like hey you know do you want something to drink i usually will just say give me hot water uh, and i'll use the black rifle coffee packets just because it's so damn strong Uh, i would rather do that than use some of their other kind of anemic coffee so i i'm a big fan of black rifle coffee instant coffee packs uh, other stuff that they have that you might want to pay attention to. Obviously, they've got a whole lineup of ground coffee. They're just black, silencer smooth, gunship. I mean, the list goes on and on. We, of course, at Fieldcraft Survival, have the Endurance blend of coffee, which is pretty damn good. And if you come to any of our training events, you're more than likely going to find it brewing uh, over the campfire. That is, if you come to our survival training events. I don't know if these jokers are doing at the the gun stuff. They're probably, I don't know doing something else, but they're not drinking Black Riffle Coffee over a campfire. Totally different class. All right, so uh, check these guys out, BlackRiffleCoffee.com. You can use our coupon code, which is CRAFT15, and that's going to give you a discount when you check out. The only thing I think that is not included with this Black raffle Coffee coupon code CRAFT15 are the ready-to-drink things. They're just too damn heavy to ship, I'm guessing, but you can get all your coffee you can get Keurig cups, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and uh, I highly, highly suggest you check them out. The other company I want to bring your attention to is Sig Sour. Sig Sauer is located up in New Hampshire, and if you guys are not familiar with New Hampshire, state motto, live free or die. That's right, Granite State, awesome people up there. I love going back to New England. I was born in New England and I spent a lot of time up in New Hampshire, and I've spent a lot of time at the SIG Sauer Academy training all different types of firearms and all different types of uh, skills and, and skill sets. So uh, please check them out, sigsauer.com, and uh, take a look at where they've been and what they've done, right? SIG is one of those names that you can rely on, you can trust. They've been in the game a very, very long time. Um, it seems like in the eighties and in the nineties, the classic series pistols were really popular, right? Like the 220, 226, 228, 229. And then you start getting into the 2000s and the 2010s. And then you start seeing the emergence of other guns that SIG is producing, like the new 320, 365 variations that have come out and really just cornered the market when it comes to highly customizable guns. So please check them out as well. And if you really wanna try out something a hell of a lot of fun, you gotta get your hands on either the MCX or the MPX. The way I can describe these two rifles, uh, well, rifle or pistol, depending if you get it with a pistol brace, it just has a different recoil impulse. It feels really, really good. Uh, Sweet shooting guns. Um, Highly, highly capable guns. So please check them out. That is sigsauer.com. And if you get a chance, check out the instructors. A lot of them have their own pages. Uh, from the Sig Academy, again, great folks over there. So please check them out. Sixhour.com. All right, guys, here we go. Let's get to this podcast. The rule it's a ratio where you don't go um, beyond your
1: whatever zone. I'm talking yeah.
2: about a rubber, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: <clears throat> and that and I didn't realize that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And then I started training <laughs> via that recipe, and it was so painful, man. Because I'm like, you know, I want to run faster, but my heart rate
2: won't let you won't let you run faster (laughs) yeah
1: and so it was brutal but it was it was a cool experience yeah Um, it's let me see
2: when you coach people to try to run that way it's pretty painful for them to to stick to it um
1: oh are we on this oh okay (laughs) i like how john does that uh mike mcknight um for guys and gals who listen to this podcast we gotta fix this thing where we could see each other. I know. Too. I'm like, like, <laughs> like staring at the. All right, it's for the it's for the videos. Um, t- tell tell me a little bit about your background, like who you are currently. Um, your professional athlete. What what you specialize in?
2: Yeah, so I'm Michael McKnight. I live up in Logan, Utah. Um, I am a, I guess I'm a professional trail and ultra runner. And then I recently, I up till this year, I've had a 9 to 5 my whole life, but I just quit that this year and I've been a full-time coach since about April. Um, coach about 50 athletes right now um, who are all either just getting into running or trying to do their first 200-mile race. Wow. Um, got a wife and two kids, and um, yeah, my life is just really revolved around running right now.
1: So you, when you say you coach fifty people, do you do that through a mechanism? Like, is it through a Patreon, through a a coaching process? Like, how do you actually coach people to run?
2: So um, it's mostly online. Um, I think I coach maybe three people that live here in Utah, but yeah, the rest are throughout the whole world. And basically, I just create like weekly training plans for them. Like, we go through their goal races for the year. And we do buildups for those races, recovery periods from those races, and um, basically just creating the plan, having biweekly phone calls, weekly emails. They can text me as much as they want. It's just a process of coaching them, mostly for their first big race. Um, And then a lot of people, it's just helping them stay consistent for their life, basically. Yeah, The
1: uh, podcast I did, if you guys, as a point of reference, want to see it, I did it with Ben Light. And, uh, who's also an endurance athlete here in Hebrew city, but you guys have partnered on this up and coming challenge, which is both of you running, um, at the same time for charity. Tell me about that event. What is that? What is that you guys are doing?
2: Yeah. So, um, so in the endurance world, there's a term called FKT, which means fastest known time. And there's thousands of trails around the world that are just like well-established trails. You got like the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, Colorado Trail, Arizona Trail. Um, And what people do is they go to these trails and try to set, well, some people try to set records, um, fastest known times, Mm. and then some people just kind of go out there and through-hike style it, where they, like, you know, if you're doing the Appalachian Trail, for example, usually it takes them, I think, like six months. Like they basically just quit their job and backpack and carry everything and just hike this whole Appalachian Trail. It's 2,000 miles. Wow. Um, but anyway, with FKTs, there's also different variations of FKTs. You've got like self-supported where you like you can do water drops along the trail. Um, you have unsupported, and that's where you just carry everything um, in your bag, kind of like a through-hike style. And then there's supported FKTs where you can have a crew meet you along the way and, like, refill your stuff and sleep in the car and stuff like that. You can even leave the trail in a car if you want as long as you come back to that exact same spot and continue onward. Yeah. Um, but it all, you know, goes against this grand calculation of time on how long it takes to get to the finish. Mm. And so what Ben and I are doing is we picked uh, the Arizona Trail, which is 800 miles. It starts from the border of Utah and goes to the border of Mexico. And, um, we're basically going to start on opposite sides and race each other to the opposite side and at the same time trying to snag the FKT. Mm. Um, and the current FKT for the supported, which is what we're doing is 13 days and three hours and 27 minutes. Um, so one of us is just, well, both of us is hoping to beat the current FKT, but, um, there's only one FKT on this trail, so only one of us is going to walk away with like a, a record, if that makes sense.
1: So, the, I mean, f- for people who don't understand kind of like the endurance aspect of what you, you and Ben do, we're not talking about like a marathon. Is this considered ultra everything, yeah. right? Ultra, ultra endurance, marathon. ultra marathon? Yeah. So w- what are some of the records that you have for uh, – specific distances? What what were some of the highlights of your career?
2: Um, Yeah. So I, I, I got into the 200 mile distance. So like really there's, I mean, the most common ultra marathons, there's 50 K 50 mile, a hundred K a hundred mile and 200 mile. Um, but really ultra marathons is anything over a marathon. So you got a bunch of random distances between all those, but those are generally the ones that most people try to work up towards. And a marathon's 20, 26.2, 26.2. Okay. Yeah. So technically 26.3 is an ultra. I mean, people argue about it. Some people say 50 K is an ultra, but like, you know, you have the crowd. I'm, I'm far the crowd. Anything over a marathon is an ultra. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, two hundred mile races is kind of something that me and Ben both have gotten into um, throughout our careers. Like I've, I've probably done more two hundreds than I have one hundreds. Oh wow! Um, but I would say like the two or three th- like records that I have that stand out the most is um, so there is something called the Triple Crown of two hundreds, and what that is is there is three two hundred mile races in the span of sixty days. You have one in the Cascade Mountains; it's called the Bigfoot two hundred. And that's in August. You have the Tahoe 200, which um, is just one big loop around Lake Tahoe. And that's in June now because of fire season, but it used to be in September. And then you have the Moab 240, which is one big loop around the Moab, the city of Moab and the Moab Desert. And that's in October. And so the Triple Crown is when you do all three of those races in the same calendar year, which, you know, it used to be a span of 60 days. And so in 2019, I I went out to try and just set a solid triple crown time because they combine the times for like one big overall triple crown and 200s time. But in the process, um, I just I happened to win all three of the individual races too. And so that's like I guess you could call that a record and in, in culmination,
1: sense. you also beat the record, the yeah. existing record, huh?
2: Yeah, I beat the existing record, <laughs> which was my own record um, by about 45 hours that year. Wow. It was wow. a significant improvement for me. Um, so I have that. And then in 2020, um, a lot of people might think this is really stupid, but, um, I set out to see if I could run hundred miles without consuming any calories. Um, and so I, and I did that and that process, um, became like the first person to run that distance without consuming any calories. Wow. Um, and then later that year I went out and tried to get an FKT on the Colorado trail, which is a 500 mile route from Durango to Denver. And, um, I set the FKT on that attempt.
1: Um, wow. Okay. So let's talk about the 200 mile threshold and this idea of doing it without calories, which was a hundred miles, right?
2: Yeah. I did a hundred miles without calories. Yeah.
1: When you, when you. I mean, I can't even imagine, but I assume it has something to do with ketogenics. Like, are you using fat as a a fuel source? Yep. And then, um, (laughs) what does that look like? I mean, I, I'm not the, I think that one of the specialties that you guys have isn't your Instagram, what's your Instagram handle called?
2: The low carb runner,
1: the low carb runner. What's the benefit of that? I've talked a little bit about, um, this with Ben, what's the benefit with that over-calorie consumption and leveraging carbohydrates as a fuel source? is What's the advantage and disadvantage?
2: So um, this is a complicated topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did the zero calorie 100 just to see if it was possible. There's no advantage to running 100 miles without consuming calories. Like you're definitely at a disadvantage. I just wanted to see if it was possible. Um, and what I do and what Ben does is we're trying to train our bodies to be efficient at burning glycogen and fat. Mm. Um, Just the way our bodies are, our bodies burn glycogen or carbohydrate much easier than fat. And so based off of the standard American diet, it's a very carb-heavy diet. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, most Americans are hardly ever tapping into their fat storage. And so what me and Ben do is we eat... And no, my Instagram name is The Low Carb Runner. It's not The Keto Runner. Yeah, yeah, Um, The No Carb Runner. The No Carb Runner, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like in a a general, in any given day, like if I'm doing a high training day, I'll probably get about 150 grams of carbs, Hmm. which is not keto, but it's still more than half like less of the amount of what a standard American diet is. Mm-hmm. And so we're just, we're staying generally low carbs. So we're like kind of hovering above that imaginary line of ketosis. Mm-hmm. And then before a race, we'll go strict keto. So then we can kind of dip back below that line of, of ketosis and get our body used to burning fat, like hundred percent of the time. And then come race day, we'll utilize carbs while we're racing so that and it's way, a super
1: fuel now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like NOS on a car. Yeah. Like you have your baseline of fat burning, you take in some carbs and get a nice boost, but because your body's used to burning fat, you have no issues like going back to that that baseline of fat burning. Interesting. And is that does
1: that give you a perceived mental advantage? Can you can you tell like when you like you you know the feeling on both, but can you tell a significant shift in in your performance? Yes. Really?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like, when you talk to people who do marathons, like, have you heard the the description where it's like, I was doing great until mile 16, and then I hit a wall, Yeah. and then I was like walking for four or five miles, and then all of a sudden I regrouped and finished strong. Their bodies, like, essentially what happened is they burned through their glycogen, mm-hmm. and since their body never burns through glycogen, it feel, like, the body thinks it's starving, like, it's like, I don't have any more fuel. Starts crashing. Starts crashing. Yeah. And then it realizes, oh, I have this massive storage of fat, and it taps into that, and that's how they, like, recover and finish strong. And so so basically by doing this, your low points are never what they used to be. Like, you might feel like crap and junk, but if you can, like, like, there's a lot of times that I go out for a run, like a training run, and I'm like, this was an awful run. I felt terrible. And then I'll go back and look at my straw and say, oh, I set, like, three PRs. So it's like you still feel like you suffer, but your baseline's a lot higher than it used to be because you don't have that like deep crash that you used to get before you like became efficient at burning fat. Is there so when you see somebody
1: zonk, like they they zonk is it zonk or bonk? Zonk? I've like heard they, both. Yeah, I've heard both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's happened to me in the military with uh trying to set records for rucking. Yeah. In a twelve mile, eighteen mile, twenty one mile. And um Is that the transition period between glycogen and fat? And then because people aren't resilient and they're not used to that phase transition, they hit a wall? So is it it possible to not hit that glycogen fallout wall because they're transitioning into fat?
2: Yeah, that's typically what's happening. So it's like when I started this nutritional approach, like you have a strict keto phase for about four to eight weeks. And usually, like, there's a period of time during that 48 weeks where you just feel like you're zonking for, like, day in and day out. Like, I remember, like, I would go to the gym still, but there was times, like, I legit fell asleep, like, sitting on the bench. Like, I was just so tired all lethargic, the time. Lethargic. Yeah. yeah, lethargic, brain fog, all that stuff. But eventually, your body just taps into it, and you, you get used to it. So... There's a lot of people that try this approach and fall off the wagon because of that terrible feeling that you feel for a few days. But, yeah, that's essentially what's happening is your body's trying to figure it out, and that's kind of why you're zonking because it doesn't know what to do. Interesting. And then that that part of the transition, once you continue to do it and you kind of get past
1: that, does it become easier over time? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Because I, I, I did keto for a bit. And I started measuring blood sugar and then started realizing, uh, you know, I don't know if this is part of, I I hear this, I've read it in forums and I read it uh, amongst people that Asian Americans are very Asians period are very good at not getting into ketosis. Uh Like, I mean, it, like it took, takes me forever. Like. I thought I was going... I'm like, oh, I'm in ketosis. My breast stinks a little bit. I feel like I'm starving. That might be ketosis, but my blood sugar was telling me, like, no, you're not even close. And I had strings of, like, two, three weeks where I was like, dude, when is this going to happen? And then once I had to go to the hospital because I was hypoglycemic, and, oh. and I I had, like, heart palpitations. I was like, oh, this isn't right. And, I, you know, it was obviously an imbalance of electrolytes and certain things I wasn't doing right. But I, I... I was like, oh, maybe it's not possible for me to do that. And then people were telling me, like, you just need to get past that, you know, the keto flu, yep. all of those issues. And once you get over that hump, you'll be good. And, yeah. then, and then it will be a lot easier because your body's like, oh, you, now I know what's happening and it's more adaptive.
2: Yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, two things with that, like the people that struggle the most with adapting, like because like carbohydrate or sorry, water holds on to carbohydrate. Yeah. And so when you go low-carb, you dump a lot more water, mm. and with that, you're dumping more electrolytes. So if you're not supplementing electrolytes, the keto flu phase lasts a lot longer. Yeah. And then um, also, like, the people that I coach—so like I said, I'm coaching about 50 people, and I'd only say 10 or 12 of them are doing, like, a low-carb approach. Yeah. And— um, I usually tell them all the time, like, don't test your ketones because it's something that you can become pretty obsessive over. Mm. And I feel like the ketone levels don't, like, tell the whole truth. Like, like I'm sure if I was to measure my ketones – well, and, again, a keto diet and a low-carb diet, they're different. So if your goal is ketosis, then, yeah, you're obviously trying to be in ketosis a lot more than, like, what I'm trying to do. But um, if you over-obsess about those ketone levels – because, like, anything can throw you out of ketosis. Oh, it's like, crazy. A couple of coffee. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So you don't want to over obsess about those numbers and more like if you if you can go like I usually tell people like instead of testing your ketones, just go for like a one or two hour run. And if you can do that, like either without filling the need for calories or doing like half the amount of calories that you usually do, then that's a good sign that your your body efficient at burning fat. It almost seems like you're adapting your body for this
1: famine phase of what I assume is primal, you know, like we feast and famine. And then when your body starts adapting for the famine, then when you'd feast, it's the super fuel, yeah. right? It's the, it's the huge opportunity because that's what I noticed about uh, advantageously. I mean, when I grew up in the army, we would do cardi- cardio fasted all the time because you wake up at 6.30, mm-hmm. you wake up at 5.30 to do physical training at 6, 6.30, and you're always fasted. Because you never eat breakfast prior, and and I remember my one of my squad leaders in the infantry said, uh, um, "Hey, have you ever tried to eat a Snickers bar prior to a run?" And this is in the '90s, and I'm like, "That's I could never do that," and it, it it just blew my mind. Like that was even like this guy's crazy. He eats a Snickers bar and smokes a cigarette before he runs, and then he beats everybody. And I'm like, "What is going on with that?" So everything we did was fasted, and then when I started to migrate into special operations where they pay, I would say, a little bit more attention to this diet, nutrition, health, wellness, and performance. It's still not dialed. We're just figuring it out now, but when I was in, we were like, oh, you know, the marathoners are doing a gel shot every 30 minutes, and or every 30 minutes on the, on the hour. And I'm like, all right, I'll do a gel shot. And then I'm like, whoa. Like I have this immense amount of energy and I just drank uh, a caffeine shot and I'm freaking like, out of my mind, like jet fuel. Um, and then we started targeting that. I feel like a lot of people, like you said, we're, we're running full time on carbohydrates. Yeah. So they don't know what a deficit feels like or looks like. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm literally a 230 pound carbohydrate. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, if you puncture me, I'm just a gel shot. <laughs> um, but, but, but now I could see why that would be beneficial. Is one of the benefits of doing that to stay lean, because obviously you guys like you and 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 Ben have to be lean, I assume, because that has everything to do with efficiency.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, it's a good way to get lean for sure. I have noticed though too though that it's easy to reverse that pretty fast. Mm. Like during my phases of doing like 150, so like right now, for example, I um I had a recent ankle sprain. And so whenever I'm, like, not running a lot, whenever I have a type of injury, I go really restrict. Mm. So, like, I've been borderline following a carnivore diet pretty recently to yeah. help reduce the inflammation. So I have noticed, like, whenever I'm more strict like that, whenever I do start introducing carbohydrates again, like some more fruits and vegetables, I do, like, start retaining water a little bit more and that leanness. Like, you're still, probably, like you're still lean, but you just start retaining water a little bit more so you don't look as lean. Yeah, if that makes sense, but yeah, like if you're if you're trying to get lean, like going strict keto, born like carnivore is a good way to to do that. Yeah, and that's yeah. like another reason we'll do it just before a race. Like if you go strict keto just before a race, it's a good way to to lean out a little bit before Shed that race. Weight. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I when I look at
1: endurance, and I told you I'd I'd done a i i done ai did a fifty mile. I don't think it was a fifty mile. I think it was a fifty k. Fifty k. It wasn't fifty miles. Um, and. When I did that, I did a train-up and followed, I can't remember the, the name of the guy's book, but it's like a ratio, like two-thirds or whatever the ratio is, where you can't go out of zone two for mm-hmm. a certain period of time. And I was doing heart rate training and just v- paying very much uh, in detail every specific trait of guys like you who do it for a living and trying to follow this protocol. And what I noticed is, like I have a perception of how fit I am, but the heart rate's not going to lie. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I started to get ahead and my heart rate started to accelerate, I had to gear it back. And it was almost like I was doing a formation run where I'm used to like, where you're doing a, it's called an airborne shuffle, where you're just kind of shuffling your knees in place. And it, and it gives the illusion that you're moving, that you're like <sighs> moving in place. But it's critical for endurance because if you start stretching your legs, or extending and accelerating your heart rate, then you'll pay for it, right? You'll pay mm-hmm. for it down the road. What I noticed is, you know, 10, 20 miles in, I'm like, man, this is easy. Like this is very, it's like super comfortable. Like I listened to like 10 audiobooks and I'm like, this is amazing. But at some point, things start to degrade. Like your body goes, this is the worst thing that you've ever done and all of the things start falling apart. And by the end of it, I was like a cripple walking across the finish line when I thought, man, I've done this in special operations, I've done it in the military, like I'm very predisposed for this, or at least pre, uh, pre-experienced in this. What do you do mindset-wise to kind of allow yourself to mentally stay in the game? Because even at the tail end of it, from somebody who teaches mindset for a living, my brain could not hold on and stay resilient it was like everything in me just was like stop you're gonna die stop you're gonna quit maybe this is enough you've hit a wall like just take a knee make a phone call and i'm like what is going on and these are doubts and things that i've never experienced but i imagine in whether it's now or in the beginning phases of your career that was something you had to fight through
2: yeah i mean so mindset like training is it's pretty difficult because like so like when I'm coaching people to get ready for their first ultra like we talk a lot about the mindset side of things because you know you're physically like if you stick to the plan and everything goes right you're physically ready for that race but there's there's always going to be a point and I'm pretty confident in saying that there's always going to be a point especially for your first ultra where you're going to have somewhat of a low spot um And, like, it's on you 100% to figure out what you need to do to get through that. And so usually, like, when I talk to people, like, we brainstorm and talk about certain things. And, like, I kind of, like, try to help them figure out what their why is going to be. But, like, each individual needs to figure out what their own why is. And when those moments hit, like, you have to start thinking about that why. Yeah. So, like, for example, for me, um, two things that... One thing I've done pretty consistently for a few years that helps me out, but then there's another thing I've been trying recently. Um, the thing I've been trying recently. Uh, have you heard of Alex Hermosie? Mm. Um He he's an entrepreneur. He he has a book called Hundred Million Dollar Offers.
1: Yes. 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 I've okay. heard of that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I follow him on Instagram, and he's always putting out videos about like business type stuff. But like, I've learned that a lot of the stuff he says can correlate to ultras. Interesting. But like one of the videos he put out was, um, I forget what he called it, but he was talking about how basically like if you're going to go on a drive and if you like, you know, say you hit every red light, a lot of times that's going to frustrate you. But like if you leave your house thinking in your mind, like I'm going to hit seven red lights today. And -hmm. if you like mentally prepare for that and just normalize it, when you hit those seven red lights, you're not you're not pissed off about it because you expected it. Mm. Um, if you only hit two or three red lights, then it's like, oh, today's an amazing day because it's not what I was expecting. It's better. And so I've, I've been trying to, like, translate that to ultras where it's like I used to be like, okay, this is the race where everything's going to go perfect. And then when it didn't go perfect, I'd get pissed off. I'd have low spots. I'd, like, start having pity parties and really slow down. But now I'm, like, just trying to be like, okay – my quads are probably going to hurt. My hamstrings are probably going to get tight. My lower back's probably going to hurt. Like, I just start, like, saying, being realistic, basically. Mm. So that way, when it happens, I'm not as pissed off about it because I expected it. Um So I'm trying that strategy with my mentality. But then the other thing that I do, too, um, is about 10 years ago, I broke my back in a skiing accident. Yeah. And I... Just in the moment when I broke it, I didn't know what physical activity would be like for the rest of my life. Like I was worried I'd be somewhat paralyzed. Um, When I had surgery, the doctor told me I'd be in bed for a while and that like running wouldn't be the same again. Um, So just being in that situation where like I felt like my ability to do physical activity was going to be taken away from me. um, Being where I'm at today, where it obviously hasn't been taken away from me, I just like try to remember myself when I hit those low moments. I try to remind myself when I hit those little moments, like I would much rather be suffering here right now in this moment, trying to run 200 miles than sitting in my bed because I can't walk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's almost like all of that's about managing your own expectations that you set. And um, a lot of us are, you know, like the whole pity party thing. It's like, man, you you can remain optimistic because. I mean, your life's really great. The yeah. opportunity to even run 200 miles and set records and just do something that's so epic is an opportunity for for a lot of people. And that little bit of suffering, like, yeah, like what's the big deal?
2: Yeah, you know? it's like it's an opportunity to suffer if, if you think yeah. about it.
1: Hundred <laughs> I mean, yeah. percent. There's so many people people really suffering, and you at least you voluntarily are suffering. Yeah. Suffering. <laughs> um, I think w- what's important about what you guys do is. Mostly around the story that you tell, whether it's the train up and the lead up or the post analysis, because a lot of lessons can be learned from that experience. Right. And I think what's cool, what's become more cool of recent, I think it's a recent phenomenon, is normal people are getting into this Mm -hmm. who aren't exceptionally gifted as athletes because they're not looking to beat the record. They're looking to complete something as a journey. So you know that process starts with a training protocol, and then they do the thing. And then what, what I found in, in a lot of people's experiences, even my own in this, they become addicted to it because it's an addiction to the process. And it's like this build-up, this lead-up, and it keeps their mind focused, and, and in my opinion, keeps them off the phone, mm-hmm. um, and just it, in reality. right, and it, and it feels good. For somebody who's listening to this, who wants to start this path? What's the start point for somebody who's not, I mean, I'm 200, I'm naturally 230 to 40 pounds, and I'm just not designed for this, but I, there's a protocol for me. What's the start point?
2: I mean, I usually just tell people you just gotta put on the running shoes and get out the door. Like getting mm-hmm. out the door is the hardest part. Um, and then I usually, the thing I usually tell people is like consistency is king. So, mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to, like, if you want to run a marathon one day, like, just realize that that's what it is. It's one day. And so right now you just need to get out that door and run half a mile. And even if you have to walk a quarter mile of that half mile, that's fine. But just like build this consistent routine where you're like dedicated to getting out for whatever it is, half a mile to a mile a day. Um, still take a recovery day, yep. but like, you know, for the most part, get out almost every day and do that. And then once that becomes, like, just a normal way of habit, then take it up to two miles, take it up to three miles. Like, the buildup is very unique and individualized. But to start out, like, you know, I believe you just got to put the shoes on and just get out and do 10 minutes a day. Like, something that's not overwhelming, but something that's going to stretch you because you're not used to it. Mm. Um, And I usually try to remind people, too, that, like, when I start, like, I, I did track in high school, and I came in last at every single race. Um, I, I grew up with the mentality that I'm just not gifted, um, like with sports. And so when I started ultra running, like that's what it was for me. Like I wasn't out to set records. I wasn't out to win races. I just wanted to see if I could do these distances. And then just along the way, like it just so happened that records started happening. I started winning races. Like, so like nobody, nobody should ever write off their capacity to be able to win and set records I know that's not everything but like nobody should ever think that they're at a point where that's never a possibility
1: yeah it's interesting too because you look at the age demographic of ultras whether it's maybe the older we are the crazier we get but a lot of young guys don't fare as well as an older demographic I mean some of the records held by some of the best in the world seem to be in their 30s and 40s
2: well, there's a there's a guy I know that's he's my coach actually but he's 52 and you know he just he set a a record a couple of months ago at the Grand Canyon for fastest, I think it was 52 rim. year old. Yeah, he's 52. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no.
1: Overall oh, yeah. though, yeah, he set the fastest. That's insane. I know. That gives me hope. <laughs> that's so. How old are you?
2: 32.
1: So awesome, man. I it, I I love it. It seems like it's a um something that it's it's possible for anybody to get involved in and i noticed about when i started even doing this when you train up for it it didn't feel like suffering because you have to manage it it feels like discipline because you have to constantly manage this zone Mm -hmm. that you need to stay in and this threshold you need to stay in but i noticed because i was beating the pavement beating the trails again and again and again because you had to get the reps in the exposure in that that's what started conditioning me. And all of a sudden my heart rate started, my, my variabil- variability and my heart rate started getting better and I just started getting more efficient. And, and I was thinking, it's like the guys you look at on the treadmill in a, a fat burning zone and you're like, they're not doing anything. But for this, as the lead up incrementally shifts and changes and evolves, you're working up to a 200 mile or a 100 mile or an ultra marathon. Yeah. And it's crazy how it works. I wanted to ask you about pro tips because a lot of people would hear this and go, you know, where do I get started? What's the best equipment? What are the best tactics? Um, so I wanted to ask you, when when it comes to getting started, what are a few important pieces of equipment that are going to make this journey more optimized? What, yeah. what do you think?
2: Um, I mean, obviously a good pair of running shoes. Um, when I started running, I was in college, so I was pinching and saving, so I was buying like, I don't even know what the brand is, something that Walmart carries. Bobos, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something. <laughs> and like, um, you know, I was, I was having knee issues, I was having calf issues, and mm-hmm. I could never figure out why. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to meet somebody that was an ultra runner, and he was like, well like your shoes kind of suck. <laughs> oh. And so I finally at the time I invested in some ASICS. Um, you know, it was like two or three times the price of what I was paying for a pair of shoes at Walmart, but you know, as soon as I like got a good pair of shoes, like essentially all of the pains I was feeling went away. Wow. So what's your shoe- what's your go-to shoes now? I'm in Solomon's.
1: Yeah, do you use like the trail version of their shoes for for an ultra or do you and mm-hmm. in, and in, How many pairs of shoes do you go through in one Ultra?
2: Um, So, yes, I use their trail shoes for Ultras, but, like, it depends on the Ultra because I just... Have you heard of Badwater? Yeah, yeah. I did Badwater this year, which is 100% road, so I had to use road shoes for that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, but I I mostly do Trail, so I'm mostly in the Trail shoes. Um, But for me... And everybody's different with how many shoes they wear in an Ultra. For me, it's more of, like my approach is more of like a mental thing. So like I usually switch my shoes up every 40 to 60 miles. Mm. Um, so I usually go through four or so pairs of shoes and a 200. Wow. Um, and for me, like, you know, I could, I, I don't have to do it that much, but for me, it's just a way to, um, to mentally reset and to make sure all the system, like everything in my systems is working. So like, it's like, okay. If I just get to this mile 40 mark, like I can sit down for an extra five minutes, take my shoes off, let my feet air out. Um, so it's more of like a mental thing for me and to make sure that I like kind of dial it back and I'm not pushing too hard. Mm. Um, but yeah, usually I set it up to about 40 to 60 miles for me to switch my shoes. Do you know the model shoe that you use, the trail shoe that you use for Solomon. Yeah, um, so there's about three or four that I use that I like the most. Um, they just came out with one called the Pulsar Trail mm. that I'll use, and I'll probably use the majority. Um, I'll probably use that for the majority of the Arizona Trail, but then the Speed Cross, that's one of their more popular shoes, and then the Ultra Glide. Mm. Um, those are the three that I take. both typically... of those.
1: They're good shoes. Yeah. Um. All right. What else? What else? Uh, Equipment
2: wise. Um. I mean, the shoes is the biggest thing. Um, socks, that's another thing too. Like, don't buy. I mean, some people get away with buying like sock. I keep referencing Walmart. I don't have anything against Walmart, but yeah, <laughs> like you know, like I, I use these in gingies. Um, yeah. and, and it's just little things like that that you need to think about. Like I used Those to. Those are get, toe socks. Yeah, and I used to get blisters between my toes all the time, but ever since using toe socks, I don't anymore. Oh, so you use a toe sock in mm-hmm.
1: inside your Solomon. Yes, and you don't get any uh, any blisters.
2: I mean, I'll sometimes get bl- like it depends how wet the race is, but like I never get blisters between my toes anymore wow. and I used to all the time. Yeah. Um, what's the What's the name of the company? Injinji. How do you spell that? I n j i n j i. Injinji. Yeah. Injinji. Sounds like. <laughs> it's Korean, always hard for me to it, say like it. With... <laughs> Injinji. Yeah. So then
1: you use what kind of material are you using for the actual specific sock? is it like a I don't know like a wickaway type hiking sock or
2: um I think it's merino merino mm-hmm. wool and you don't use body glide or anything on your feet like I do. so I use something called squirrels nut butter. Um, butter. Squirrel. butter squirrels nut butter
1: squirrel squirrel squirrels nut butter squirrels nut butter yeah and it's like a lube for your feet yeah, yeah. and it's
2: like an all natural type lube that changed lube.
1: the game for me when I when I discovered body glide which i thought was a deodorant because it comes in a deodorant yeah, stick yeah. and i'm like why would i ever <laughs> use deodorant uh, for a run on my feet and then I used it, and I and I used it for uh, endurance rucks, and I was setting records within our organizations. Like I did an 18 miler in three hours, and with a I think it was a 55 pound ruck, and and my feet had not one blister, but my feet shifted, but because of the petroleum or whatever the base is, it moved, but it never gave me the blister. When other dudes with after an 18 miler. Their their feet would be hammered. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so are you using it on the heel and between the toes, or where are you using it on your everywhere foot? everywhere?
2: Yeah, I'll just lather my whole foot with that stuff. Smart. Okay. And um, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to promote myself as a coach, but like one reason you would hire a coach, or at least like do a lot of research on Google, is there's a lot of stuff that you just don't even think about that could help you. Um, run like pain-free essentially yeah not as basically not not being as much pain as you would have been if you didn't do the research to figure some stuff out so like for example um, and I actually just learned this recently but like you know you have like your lubes like a squirrel's nut butter that you put on to help prevent but like if you get in a race and your feet are just saturated with water from a lot of water crossings or rain then at that point, like a lube is not going to be beneficial for you anymore. At that point, you need to switch over to like a, a gold bond, like a powder. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I, I just interviewed the guy, the founder of Squirrels Nut Butter. Like every month I do um like podcast style interviews with professionals for the people oh, really? I coach. You have your own podcast. Well, I do, but I don't do it anymore. I, I, yeah. I just say, like, I, I interview people as a podcast style, but, like, I make videos specifically for the people I coach. that's like, tips. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so we, we were doing, cool. like, a blister prevention video, and he brought that up in that video, and that that was something I never even thought about, but it makes sense when you think about yeah. it. Because, like, if your feet are wet, that lube's just going to slide right off.
1: Yeah, you're going to lose all yeah. the lube on your feet, and then it's just going to degrade your, f- yeah. your foot. So you switch, clean it dry... Clean, dry, and then go switch it over to a powder, yeah, like a gold gold bond or something.
2: Yeah, so like there's so many like little pro tips like that that yeah, like we couldn't cover in a whole podcast like that, but like you just that's the reason you'd have a coach. That's the reason to have a coach, or you just have to like do a lot of research to to make sure you're crossing your t's and dotting your i's for stuff that you wouldn't even think of yeah. that could be an issue in a race.
1: What what's your I, I like that watch? I don't know who makes that watch, but that looks. <laughs>
2: badass yeah it's Coros so
1: that is that your favorite training watch
2: yeah well who who makes that watch Coros how do you spell that C-O-R-O-S Coros and so usually there's three watches I would say that kind of like are saturating the market for runners and that's Garmin Suunto and Coros yeah um you know Garmin's that's the name everybody's heard of yeah Um, and I've actually tried all three in the history of my running I've worn all three um and I've settled on Coros, not settled, but like I've picked Coros because one, I've had l- like no issues with it. Coros, I'm writing this down. <laughs> it's a good watch. Um, I have some codes if you need one. <laughs> Sweet. Um, Coros. But the thing I love the most about it is the battery life, like in the best GPS mode, it's 75 hours. And Uh, so, I usually definitely not a Garmin like a 6x
1: or a 5x will be gone
2: in a day, exactly. Yeah, well, and even if you're not using, like, I've had this thing since April and I've done two races and a lot of big adventures and I've charged it like six times. Wow, since April. What's the model of that specific one? The Vertex 2. You gotta write that down too. But it's, like, usually a 200 takes me, like, anywhere from 50 to, like, the most recent one I did was 65 hours. And so, like, I don't have to charge my watch at all for these things. Yeah. Like it's, that's huge.
1: It's huge. And you could do everything, I assume, heart rate, mm-hmm. all the stuff that's, all the diagnostic stuff that's required for running.
2: Yeah. and you Well, and then you also got, like, 20 other sport modes in there. You got, like, rowing, pool. Um, like, there's tons of different things you can do with this watch. That's awesome. Um, we were talking
1: about um, doing a resilience rendezvous and having you and Ben coming out to do uh, a speaking engagement. That's uh, November 4th through the 8th um, in a small town near – it's a small ranch near Evanston, Wyoming. It's actually not small. It's a massive ranch, but small town near Evanston, Wyoming. And one of the points of Resilience Rendezvous is to have a whole bunch of people like you, subject matter experts like Brian Peters, pro football player who understands he does cold and hot therapy. And whenever we do these engagements, it's about harnessing their experiences to help people build resilience. So like you said in the coaching aspect, it's like all these lessons learned, a lot of people learn them the hard way, know the path, and then are very good at articulating and disseminating the information to make you better. And that's definitely you and Ben. When, when it comes to your own resilience and how you look at what resilience is, how would you de- personally define resilience as somebody who I think is faced with this all the time?
2: How would I personally define resilience? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I just made that up just now. Oh, okay. So, so now you have to make it up. I mean, resilience, it's, like, it's essentially just, like, moving forward in the face of adversary. Mm -hmm. Like, like you have a goal, and you want to get to this destination, but, like, obviously, nothing's perfect in life. Like, nobody's perfect, and no situation, like, is hardly ever perfect, and so you just got to realize that... There's things that's going to get in your way of getting to your goal and your destination, but that shouldn't change your goal or or your destination. Mm. Like you just push through that stuff and you get to wherever you're trying to go no matter what's thrown at you. Um, I know that's a pretty generic answer. but No, but
1: it's it's a good answer, especially the idea of continuing to push forward. Many people don't understand. like um, Being resilient doesn't have to look popular or pretty or perfect. No. It's just about, like, f- maybe sometimes you're f- falling forward, you know, you, mm-hmm. and it's, it doesn't look progressive. It doesn't look like you're evolving. Sometimes it's just falling. Yeah. Uh, sometimes face forward. Um, well. Yeah. Oh, sorry.
2: No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, there's a saying that I usually, like, I so my brand, like, my coaching and stuff, it's called the Low Carb Runner. That's yeah. not my Instagram name, but, like, I have a, a slogan that I usually say to people, which is comfort is a waste of potential. Mm-hmm. And so you should almost welcome the stuff that gets thrown at you because, you know, if you have a goal and you don't have to put out any resilience to get to that goal, then I mean, it's cool that you achieve your goal, but like how much did you grow? Because it was too easy. Yeah. So you should almost welcome the stuff that's thrown at you so you can help build that resilience.
1: Yeah. It's awesome. I love that saying, because we teach that in preparedness where it's like in the embracing of suffering. We know you say embrace the suck is a key component because it shifts your mindset where otherwise everything that came at you, you would be surprised because you, you have no expectation that things are gonna be hard. And it's like, that's what life is. Mm-hmm. And and even, even knowing that's what life is when you're waiting for it to hit you in the face, you could seek these challenges and become more resilient by offensively having the right mindset and using the right tactics. That's why I love about like uh, uh, when I got into ultra, running for a short period of time, I thought it was impossible. I'm like, there's, I'm at the time I was 240 pounds. I'm like, there's no way I can move 50 miles, 50 kilometers. I mean, I could barely move a couple miles. Like I hate running. I always hated running in the military, but I liked endurance. I like rucking and I like moving for long periods of time. And then I realized, man, in a way, having a bigger stature, isn't going to be significantly a disadvantage um, if I, if I want to beat records, then yes. But moving over time, it's it's not that big of a deal.
2: No, I mean it's almost uh like because I'm I'm a bigger runner. Yeah, I'm six I'm one and one seventy to one eighty at times. But like like if if you're wanting to do like five k's, ten k's, half marathons, and yeah, like size matters. But like for a 200-mile race, for example, like I almost think it's a benefit to have a larger stature because— More muscle, more structure. Yeah, yeah, you can last longer, theoretically, because you have more muscle, you have thicker bones or whatever. So it's almost helpful, in my mind, to have a larger stature for some ultras. I love that.
1: Um, talk to me about, uh, on the closeout, let's talk about this race um, to the Mexico border. When does it take place— how do people get involved in like seeing or tracking what you guys are doing? Like, what are the parameters around it?
2: So, we're starting October 15th, October 15th. And, which is a Saturday. And like I said, the record is just over 13 days. And so, you know, theoretically, we're ending October 27th or earlier if mm-hmm. we get the record. Um, but both Ben and I, like, barring any kind of injury, we're, we're going to finish the trail. So, it might be longer if we're not getting the record.
1: Could you guys are start like one starting in Utah? when starting in Mexico or yep. on the border and then you guys
2: are going and you're going to pass each other at yeah. some point, right? Yeah. Do you know who's going to start where? So that's so this the the way this project came together, um, Ben is essentially 100% Ben's idea, but like it, we're making it kind of like a UFC style event, like kind of like adding a gamification to it almost. Like yeah. we have these posters made up like we're pretty relaxed guys but like the the poster we made up we're like trying not to smile we're trying to be all serious like do our (laughs) mma faces to each other (laughs) and so we made these posters where we're like facing each other off and like we're gonna do a weigh-in um before we start but like part of it too is we're gonna flip a coin five days before to decide who's starting on what end oh my gosh
1: yeah that's rad (laughs) so what's the advantage is there an advantage either way? I, I look at like Mexico and I think you're running uphill for some reason. I feel like if you're starting in Utah, you're running downhill. You're is, right. there, is, it, is that how <laughs> yeah. it works?
2: Yes. Yeah. So, um supposedly like the people who's done the trail says there's about a ten thousand foot difference in terms of elevation gain. Wow. And so yeah, north to south, Utah to Mexico is the more favorable route. Yeah. So obviously whoever wins the coin toss, I don't want to say obviously, who knows what Ben's thinking. <laughs> yeah. But like like There's a good chance whoever wins the coin toss is going to pick to start on the Utah border. Yeah. And then whoever loses the coin toss gets to pick what time we start. And so there is still some um, say in what happens for the person who doesn't win the coin toss.
1: Yeah. I think in Mexico, it's going to start hotter, obviously. Yep. And then get colder. And then Utah is colder to hotter. So there's some di- a disadvantage there potentially as well.
2: Well, and think of the time of year too. Like if you're starting in Mexico at, on October 15th, you're getting closer to November as you get to Utah. So you have a higher chance of even getting snow. Yeah. Like as you were getting closer to the end. While running uphill. Yeah. <laughs> so you start in the heat and you end in the really cold versus starting in like probably pretty nice temperatures. Yeah. And finishing. Finishing at probably pretty nice temperatures. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Ooh. I love that. So, uh, how how can people track this race? Is there a way to track it?
2: Yeah, so me and Ben and um, another friend of our started a company. Um, we haven't really told many people about this, but it's called Great Western Adventures. We're gonna do races and run retreats, and so like kind of the kickoff for Great Western Adventures is we're gonna have like tracking on our Great Western Adventures dot com yeah. website. Um, we're gonna have so when you go after FKTs, you have to carry like a garment in reach, mm-hmm. so you have like a hundred percent tracking of the route to make oh, sure like you're being honest, basically. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, we'll both have in reaches on us, and we're gonna have like a home page built out on our great western website where you know it's gonna have our little dots and just show our progression. Uh, love that the whole time.
1: <laughs> I'll be eating uh, Doritos off my belly watching you guys <laughs> suffer in the uh, Mexico to Utah or Utah yeah. to Mexico, but that's really cool because um, when I mean, you go to the website, you'll be able to track your breadcrumbs along the way. Yep. Oh, that's really cool. And then I assume on your socials, uh, the social media platforms, you'll have a little bit of, of stuff going on.
2: Yeah. I mean, so we're friends with, um, two individuals. One of them holds the current FKT and the other one, he either has the like self supported or unsupported FKT currently, or he used to, but, um, we've talked to both of them and They both said, like, the nice thing about the Arizona Trail is you have service for essentially all of it. Oh, wow. So I'm I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of, like, stories and posts and stuff like that throughout the whole journey. And there's even an organization that's called Aravipa. Yeah. They're pretty popular in the trail running community. They host, like, the race you did was probably an Aravipa race. They have tons of races in Arizona. They have a podcast. They have, like, a news media, like, what's happening in trail and ultra running, like, type platform. They're pretty huge. And they've talked about coming out for a lot of it and somehow getting involved. I don't know how much recording they're going to do and stuff, but I know they're going to do some updates.
1: Yeah, we'll do some updates as well on Phil Cross Survival's page. And maybe even if the opportunity affords it, do some media around it. That'd be really cool. Uh, It's something that I think is is cool to get involved in because when you see the challenges in real time, it kind of inspires you to get off your butt and do something like that, which I hope inspires people.
2: That's what we're shooting for. And I do want to put in a quick plug in for like the uh, nonprofits that yeah. we're. So, both me and Ben, Ben's really good at doing projects for like nonprofits. Or, you know, he and I did a race or a run two years ago for a, a guy who got paralyzed training for a triathlon. Um, we did a like a 300 mile route here in Utah to try to raise money so he could get a like a. I think it was a a wheelchair, like yeah. a, a racing wheelchair. Yeah. And so for this, we've both picked in two nonprofits. One that I'm going to represent, one that Ben's going to represent. Um, Ben's representing one called the Bigger Than the Trail, and what Bigger Than the Trail does is they raise funds to provide to help provide um, runners with counseling services. Mm. Um, because at least in the trail running world, like mental health is a pretty big topic. Like yeah. a lot of us run for our mental health. Yeah. Um, and so bigger than the shell tries to raise, I think it's three months or three sessions. Like they, they, they basically try to raise enough money to cover a certain amount of sessions to get somebody started into therapy. Really cool. And then the one I'm working with, it's called Rod's heroes. And they, um, they essentially, a lot of people probably don't know this, but it's, there's an issue in the world where, especially overseas children with down syndrome get abandoned just because they have down syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And so right now so Rods Rods Heroes has identified it's like 450 or more orphans that are ready to be adopted. But the problem is, is adoption costs like thirty to forty thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, it's expensive.
2: Yeah. So they they try to raise grants for like to cover half of the adoption for the children. Wow. And so I'm running for them. I've picked a kid. His name is Angelo from Columbia. and i my goal is to raise enough money to cover half of an of an, uh, ugh, half of an adoption for him.
1: Oh, that's really cool. My my nanny is from Colombia. Oh, nice. Um, And she's teaching my kids, but she tells me about all the, you know, impoverished children and issues they deal with politically. But that's, that's really awesome. I mean, it's two nonprofits that, I assume, based on the popularity of the media, that's driving the traffic to add benefit to the nonprofits for the entire event. Is that how it works?
2: Yeah, and Ben and I has talked about this a lot. Like we didn't want to compete like with the nonprofits where like one gets a lot more than the other yeah. so essentially we have one donation link made yep. and it's just going to get split 50/50 between the two nonprofits. Where is
1: that donation link?
2: It'll be on the the website where you can track us.
1: Okay. Yeah, we'll include that in all the links for this podcast as well. Um let's finally talk about uh how does somebody sign up for your coaching and what does that entail?
2: Yeah, so um I have a website. It's low runner.com. Um, I have all my packages there. Um, mostly though, I just usually post on like my Instagram stories when I have openings, um, and they can reach to me out to me through Instagram. My email address is the LowCarbRunner@gmail.com. runner at gmail.com. But basically I have three or four tiers. Um, all of them involve like building a plan out. Mm. Um, but just, they all, they're all different in terms of like involvement between me and them. Like one of them is just I create the plan and you go with it and we don't talk ever again. That's like the really cheap one. And then there's ones where it's like unlimited email communication, one call every month, one that's like unlimited texting, two calls every month. So like it's just different in terms of communication. And, yeah, they can either email me at my email address, Instagram, or just go to my website and see um, what all the different packages are.
1: Yeah, and we'll host those links as well below. I think my, I mean, I'm not a fan of social media. I just hate it. (laughs) Me too. But there are (laughs) profound benefits when leveraging social media in an impactful way. And I think personal, whether it's performance coaching, mental health, counseling, um, so profoundly beneficial. I mean, we do the Patreon thing. I have my personal Patreon. And that engagement has always been positive. Social media, because it's open form for just whatever, there's no filter. Mm-hmm. It could be pretty toxic, but the idea of being able to talk to an expert like yourself, who's now made this your life, what was your nine to five before you did the decided to commit full time to running?
2: I've been all over. Yeah, <laughs> um, I actually worked for Ultra Footwear. Oh, I was in their marketing. For those about... are my
1: favorite shoes now.
2: <laughs> They're a good shoe. <laughs> 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 yeah, I worked for them for five years. But, really? Um,
1: yeah. I I, I rave about that shoe because, um, for stand around shoes, which is mostly what I'm doing now, um, I'm not really doing anything like moving, um, for stand around shoes, they're the most comfortable shoe and they're wide. The toe Mm -hmm. box is wide and my feet are, I wear size 13s and my, my feet are almost 13 inches wide. (laughs) Um, but they're a great shoe. So was that a good job for you? Did you like that? Yeah, I
2: love that job. I thought I was gonna work there till I died Mm -hmm. basically, but, um. They they used to be owned by a company up in Logan where I live. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Logan, Utah is amazing. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. And the company that owned us sold us to a bigger corporation, VF Corp. They mm. own North Face, Vans, Smartwool, like they own a lot of big stuff. And they relocated us to Denver. And so Ew. yeah. <laughs> Ew. Me and my wife, we we decided it was right. We sold our house, we moved to Denver. Yeah. We lasted two months, and I quit my job and came two back. Two months, <laughs> yeah. Wow. I didn't even have a job lined up. I was just like, "This sucks." Like, yeah. my mental health is suffering. I got to quit.
1: Like, I'm going from Logan, Utah, to Denver is like going from Earth to Mars. <laughs> like, you just you're like we gotta made it here on Earth. And you're like, maybe Mars will be better, and you get there, and you're like, no, yeah. let's go back to Earth.
2: Well, there's so much irony. Like, it? like they told it when they were moving us to Denver, they're like, "We're a mountain company, so we need to be in the mountains." And like when I got to Denver, I was like, this isn't the mountains. We were in the mountains. This isn't the mountains. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You're like, unless you move to like, you know, I don't know, in the middle of the mountains of of Colorado, which is more rural, Denver is so densely populated now. It's insane. And you're over an hour from the
2: mountains. Yeah. Where Logan, it's like, I have a trailhead 20 feet from my house. Yeah. Logan's
1: one of the most beautiful places. It's second to Heber City, Utah.
2: It, it looks a lot like Hebrew Every time I come to Hebrew I'm like This this looks just like Logan It does yeah.
1: And Logan's a little bit More affordable I don't like to put that out <laughs> but It's a little bit more affordable Than Hebrew <laughs> City um, Well Mike I appreciate you being On the podcast man I, I think uh, a lot of the information That you put out Was uh, important for people to hear And you guys can see All the links below For all those things I'm going to even plug the watch And all, all the stuff That we talked about The shoes The socks Because those are super important. Uh, any last words?
2: Oh, I hate open ended questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, last, I mean, I think we covered most of like the good stuff. Um, you know, I, and I already, usually when people ask me to end with stuff, I go back to the consistency thing. Like, I have the people that, I – so I, I believe in the 80 20 rule. That's it, 80 20. That's, that's what that ratio I was talking oh, about. Oh, okay. 80 yeah. <laughs> 20. Yeah. So, yeah, I believe in that. Like, You know, if you're sticking to the plan 80% of the time, you have 20% of the time to let life get in the way, basically. Yeah. And so the people that I coach, like, you know, like, they all have their things that they're going through. Some have more than others. And I usually just make sure that they know, like, if you can't get out today, like, have the confidence to know that that's okay. And instead of going out for the 10 miles that I have planned for you, like, go do 20 minutes. And like, do something. Yeah, go do something. And chances are, like, like again, the hardest part's getting out. So if you feel like you don't have ten miles and you settle for twenty minutes, chances are you're gonna get out that door and be like, okay, I have forty extra minutes in me, and you'll you'll do it anyway. Like that. Yeah. So just get out the door, be consistent. Like, don't feel like if you don't do your ten miles and you only do twenty minutes, like you're a failure. Like life gets in the way, and just adapt and be as consistent as you can.
1: Love that. It's a great way to finish the podcast. Guys, see all the notes below. Um, also, stay tuned for a resilient podcast. We have a series for resilience. By the time you see this, Sean Kirkwood, who's a fifth group special operations guy, got Silver Star recipient. He's also my training director for the company. His episode comes out. And then we might uh, bump in Ben and Mike's podcast for episode two. And then we got Kevin Owens as well. We'll be doing one of those a month for the remainder of the year, all about resilience, focused on resilience, but uh, I'm glad we got the opportunity to talk to Mike and uh, look forward to that run October 15th. Yep. October 15th in the links below. Thanks guys.